name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. Today, I have for you Brittany Charlton, who is the founder of O Foods. Now, most of you are based in the United States, so you might not have heard of them yet, but I understand that we're going to be getting a selection of allergen-friendly snacks from Brittany and her company, O Foods, this year. So Brittany, tell me all about how you came to um, you know, your journey along the way to getting to starting a company that feeds everyone inclusive snacks. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me. But um, yeah, so I started O Foods uh, because I developed a peanut and tree nut allergy at 18. I was having a family movie night. Um, we did this every Friday. And this Friday, my um, throat closed and I ended up in the hospital. I was having um, my normal M&M peanuts that I love. Um, and uh, my throat closed. I ended up in the hospital and they told me that I had a peanut and tree nut allergy. Um, and so from there, I had to start to really look into every single snack I was having. And, you know, peanuts are in almost everything, to be quite honest with you, or they're manufactured in a, in a facility that has peanuts. And so um, really just started to look into um, ingredients and products. Um, I couldn't really find anything that I really loved. And so I started to make my own snacks. Um, and then uh, when I graduated college, my mom encouraged me to see if I could sell them into the marketplace. Um, and then kind of went from there and just started launching them into retail stores and um, really learning along the way. Um, 2021 was our you know, big year of getting into national distribution and really scaling the company um, within Canada. Um, and then 2022 is about continue, continuing to scale within Canada, but then um, scaling into the U.S. with our new distribution partner there. That's awesome. So before you found your peanut and tree nut allergy, you were lactose intolerant. Yeah. Or you probably yeah. still are lactose intolerant. That probably didn't go away. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that didn't go away, but it turned into a worse one. It's it's now a like a dairy allergy. So I actually cannot have um, anything with dairy. I normally like my throat will start closing now. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I've never really had it. And so my body just doesn't know how to um, really react to it. But uh, yeah, I found that out when one of my friends had a bubble tea and I didn't know there was milk in it and I took a sip and then my throat started closing and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and then, yeah, I found out that I have a little bit of a dairy allergy now. You know, I was writing these questions and I don't know that I've ever had anybody on who's lactose intolerant and I'm so used to saying dairy allergy. And it just kind of made me think like, it's kind of strange that we don't call it dairy intolerant or lactose allergic, right? It's kind of a funny yeah. thing that we make a difference there, but it just kind of struck me as I was writing the questions. But so growing up with the lactose intolerance, how was that? Like, what was your experience like? Um, and then compare that now to how it is being, uh, you know, anaphylactic. Yeah. Um, okay. So when I was younger, couldn't really have anything that had dairy and my mom, uh, made, I don't know, she made us feel really special to be honest with you. Like I went to daycare and, uh, I'd have like sherbet while all my friends were having, you know, ice cream. Um, and I'd be like the only one that would have something different, but, um, everyone would be like, Oh, can I have some sherbet? And I was like, Sherbert's no, delicious. Can't. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and I'd be like, no, you can't, it's only for me. And I'd feel really good. And so I never really felt, um, I'd say my mom did a really good job in making me and my brother not feel like left out or um, like we couldn't do anything. And it was, there's always alternatives. So even if we're going on a field trip, she was like, okay, well, where are they going? And like packing snacks for us. And we always had like a million snacks that we could have um, that our friends didn't have 
Um, that was like really cool and fun. Um, and then I think getting into adulthood and now having um, a peanut allergy, it's a little bit different. It's, um, it's a lot because I mean, lactose intolerance, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to go to the washroom and you know, that's about it. Uh, but when you now have a peanut allergy, it's a, it's a lot more serious, right? So like the other day, one of my friends bought me like a chocolate bar, um, and, uh, and I haven't had this chocolate bar since like probably before I was 18 and I totally forgot there's peanuts in them. Um, but as soon as I opened the wrapper, I smelled peanuts and I was like, okay, I think this has peanuts in it. And then I went and looked at the ingredients and I was like, yeah, it does and can't have it. Um, and thank God I realized before I put it in my mouth, but it was just, it was just like little things like that, that you really do need to like look out for. Um, even in like, you know, skincare, there's peanuts and skincare, um, almonds, yeah. well, that's everything. And and my mom, you know, bought me a lotion and, and she's like, Oh, I hope you love oh, it. Almond oil. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I started breaking out and I was like, what is in this? And I never even thought, and even for her, she never even thought to even look at the ingredients to see, you know, if there's like yeah. any peanuts or anything in them. And so, um, I think it's a little bit different, you know, being older now and having like a, an anaphylactic allergic reaction instead of like, you know, just go to the washing kind of thing. Um, so yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely anxiety inducing on the skincare. It's a, it's a great, uh, call out. I had a, a whole episode about skincare. I don't know what number, but it was with kiss freely, but I had one of, one of the times I landed in the hospital was from a bath bomb. Oh, wow. Yep. Didn't know. <laughs> And I just kept thinking, oh, well, this is a tingly bath bomb. There must be some, yeah. Oh my I took the brain until it was too late, you know, to figure out what was actually happening. Not very bright on my part, but yeah, the sweet almond oil in any kind of lotion and the walnuts and any kind of um, exfoliator killer. Even in uh, toothpaste, there's dairy in some toothpastes. And so people don't realize that. Yeah. Um, And uh there's just, there's just so many different hitting ingredients and it would be nice if everyone could just in every industry, if we were like forced to be like, there's peanuts in this, don't well, use it. Or just you tell know. us what's in stuff. Like all of the okay. things, no yeah, top exactly. anything, just tell us what's in it. I don't know what the tops are in Canada or what the lady billing laws are, but here it's top nine these days and it's still not enough. Just tell us all the food. Exactly. <laughs> so you went and started O Foods and it sounds like your mother is like the most encouraging supportive human ever. So kudos and shout outs to her for being so awesome. But what did you start with? Like what are the products they, what what do you offer and how did you come up with what to offer and are you the recipe developer? I have so many questions. Yeah, um okay, so first started off um, as a uh, hot chocolate company right out of college. I had braces at the time and I hated how hot chocolate from the store made my teeth feel. Um, And I was super obsessed with hot chocolate. So I made a hot chocolate. Um, At the time I was in college. So the college program, um, they had like an after school program that you could join and, and start to build your business. And it was brand new. And so they helped me build like a logo and and all that stuff. And our logo looks so different today. Um, and kind of went from there. And then I realized that, you know, in Canada, we stopped having hot chocolate in the summer. And so I was like, this is not going to work, um, for a grand scheme of things. But I also just, I didn't do it because I was like trying to make a bunch of money. I did it because it was just something I really loved. I loved hot chocolate and I wanted my own hot chocolate. And I thought it was like a fun project to do. Um, and then I 
loved going in the summer to a field by my house and picking strawberries. And then I would turn it into like, you know, ice cream. And so I thought that was like a really cool business to do too. And then I started selling those to retailers. Um, and then I realized like, you know, the logistics of a frozen business is not something I even had, you know, any knowledge of, but I, it was also something I wasn't passionate about learning, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, and, and continuing to actually scale it. Um, and so I went and created these bites and the bites that we have now is, is what I started doing and making my own like bites. Um, and I'd go to like bulk barn, which is just like an ingredient uh, place here in Canada. And I would, um, you know, just start picking up different ingredients and then mixing them together to make these like bites and to see what I've liked. Um, and went from there and then, you know, start some of my friends were like, oh, this is so good. Like, can I have some? And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then my mom would have them. And she's like, I love the apple pie one. Like, you know, it's so good. And, um, and then just kind of kept going from there. And then I decided to launch one flavor and then we kind of kept scaling from there and, and building more. And then, um, you know, in 2020, when, when COVID happened, um, we started to like, look at our space and say, okay, well, like, what's missing from this category. Um, and actually in 2019, I went to Vancouver uh, and I, I lived there with a lady who um, like, first of all, I went just because I wanted to like scale the company, but I also went because I really just wanted to like push myself outside my comfort zone of like having absolutely no one I know uh, in a place where I'm growing and like see how much I can grow from there. Um, and that was such a great learning lesson. But the lady I lived with, she loved making everything from scratch. And there was these cookies that she was making. And I was like, uh, if I can make these cookies and commercialize them, they would be so good. And I came back and I was making them for my partner at the time. And he would come by and just like eat the dough. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like, can you wait until they're cookies? And then, um, and then I took a shower and I was like, what if I just like, make cookie dough like what am I doing I'm trying to make cookies when I could be making dough and um and so yeah and then I came out of the shower and I was like I'm making dough and that's what I'm going to be doing <laughs> and and um and then I started I started the path of like okay well how can we make this dough be allergen friendly vegan and gluten-free and what ingredients do we need to have because what I was originally making wasn't that so um, how do we fit it into the company? And so it took six months of just like iterating, testing and figuring things out and kind of going from That's there. That's a tough life, by the way, having to taste and test on cookie dough. Yeah, exactly. And then kind of going from there and yeah, it was a, definitely a hard, a hard job, but, and you're, to be honest with you, like figuring it out, I eventually figured it out and it was great, but, um, but yeah, um, at first it had coconut oil and mm. um, coconut oil, when it goes in the fridge, it freezes. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it was great. But then, you know, consumers would be like, well, I have to wait for it to thaw for 30 minutes. And that's not really the effect I wanted for edible cookie dough. And um, and so kind of went from there and um, found like a butter that was uh, soy free, which is actually very hard. Uh, a lot of butters have soy mm. and, um, and then we incorporated it and kind of went from there. That's great. Uh, and now we have animal cookie dough, but yes. And I make so all the are recipes. You, are you working with not, a, like with a manufacturer, like a, a packaging company? Or are you doing that on your own? Yeah. So packaging, um, we will, for the, the design, we have someone on our team 
that does all of our design. But in terms of the packaging, we do work with different suppliers to help us out with that. And then um, in terms of like actually producing the product, we produce it ourselves. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. And so that's been a journey too. But I, the next round for us is really figuring out, okay, well, who can we partner with to start helping us make these snacks um, so that uh, we can continue to scale at the level we'd like to. When you expand into the U.S., will you be able to continue making them yourself or will you have a, a manufacturing partner? We will have a manufacturing partner. So that's the next like eight weeks is really on um, honing that in. I'm actually going to um, Expo West uh, out in California um, and uh, and then, you know, really taking the time while I'm there to really start to connect with people and see if I can find a manufacturing partner. Very good. Well, I hope I wish you luck with that. What do you think the different challenges will be from like, what's the pros and cons manufacturing it yourself versus using a, using an outside partner? Good question. Um, so manufacturing it ourselves, it's great because we can iterate really fast. So if I want to launch a flavor next week, like I can do exactly that. I can launch a flavor next week and be ready to go on, you know, have it ready in, in retail by next week. Um, whereas with a co-manufacturer, you do need to schedule time. So it's like, okay, well, maybe it's three months out or six months out of launching, right? Like they're not able to just like snap their fingers and launch it on a whim. Um, I would say also like the quality is you have to make sure that you have the right partner to help out with quality and all that stuff, right? Like if your product doesn't taste good, no one's going to want to buy it. So it doesn't matter if you have a co-manufacturer to help you scale it, right? Um, And I think that's the great part about having our own manufacturing right now is that I can... um, I have like the right uh, to the, like the quality of how we're doing things, the ingredients that we put in there um, and really vetting every single thing. Yeah, no doubt. Certainly you're giving up some control, but then you can scale it significantly larger, right? And apparently move, move internationally, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So are you developing all the recipes or have you picked up some from other people or... Do you have a team that also develops additional things? No. So I do all the recipes. Honestly, it's whatever I feel is missing in the market, like, you know, um, or anything that I feel like I really want in my life. Um, it's kind of how I go about it. And then also just connect with the community to say like, okay, well, what do you guys want to see from us? And then kind of building out our innovation pipeline from there. But um, I do all of the recipes and uh, the testing and the figuring out. And I think that's the part that I love um, is like, I'm not a food scientist, but I, I love looking at that, all the details. And then obviously connecting with the food scientist once I have everything that I'm like, okay, well, how do we scale this into a bigger um, commercial um, product? But yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel you on the passion being the development of, you know, the product. What's it like having to deal with kind of all the other stuff, having started a business, I, I feel your pain here. What was that like starting your first business, if you will, and having to do kind of all the other paperworky, financy stuff? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I, I do outsource all of that stuff just because I'm not a like I'm not an accountant. Um, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So I do outsource all of that stuff, but I think it's definitely been just like learning on the go, obviously. There's there's no one to really, other than like other entrepreneurs and maybe reaching out, um, it's really Google <laughs> that is the, the power source of everything. Like, you know, normally if you're like in a job, you're like, hey, how do I do this? But it's like, there's no one for me to be like, 
by the way, how do I, how do I do this? Right. It's like, mm, figure it out. Um, and so connecting with other mentors and, um, and other entrepreneurs as well, um, helps a lot. And then the power of Google, I mean, thank God we're in 2022 where Google exists and, and uh, it's amazing. You know, so what advice would you have for someone else starting their first company? Yeah. Um, I'd say advice for starting your first company, I would just say, just do it. And I, I know people say that often, but it's, I think people get in their heads about it, right? Like so many of my friends come to me and they're like, well, I want to do this, but I don't have enough money. And, or I want to do this, but there's always a but. And it's just like, okay, well, how do we turn that but into an and? Like, I want to do this and I need this. And I believe I can do it kind of thing, right? Um, So I think it's just, um, just getting up and doing it. Don't overthink it, honestly. Like if you want to do something, you honestly really can do it. And there's no, like, like we live in 2022. There's like, even if you don't have the capital, there's grants out there. There's loans that you can go get. There's um, just so many different resources for you out there um, that there really is no excuse as to why you're not doing what you really want to do. Yeah. When, uh, when you started the business, what were the things that surprised you that you needed to learn? Don't say everything. No, I'm not going to say everything. Uh, I would say <laughs> things that I had to learn. Um, I think uh, really honing into some leadership skills uh, as I have like building a team out. Um, and then I would say also the sales process. So it's not like it's great to get product on shelf. Uh, and I think everyone's like, well, I just launched into like 3000 accounts. Like that's so cool. But it's like, okay, well, like what's your plan to get that product off the shelf? <laughs> like, how are you going to make sure that that sells through to the consumer um, and that people actually liked your product? Right. Um, and so I think that was a, a big learning one. And then also um, like paralleling distribution with great brand awareness. Um has been another really big one. So, you know, getting our national distributor last year, I feel like if I knew what that would have brought me, I would have done that from the, from day one. Um, because uh, being with smaller regional distribution partners is great. Um, but I found that once we launched nationally, we were able to scale a lot quicker um, and get into the accounts. And there's no barriers. Like normally when you work with a small distributor, distributor, you know, they're like, well, you need to buy, you know, $300 worth of product. To, um, and whether, even if that's a small store, you know, for them to buy $300 worth of just your product is insane. Too much risk. Yeah. It's too much risk. And, um, when you work with a bigger distributor, they have, you know, multiple products under the same category that they can pick from, whether it's milk or cookie dough or, you know, butter anything, um, as long as it's refrigerated and they can meet the 300, um, minimum and be fine. So I think that was a, a really big one. It's really just like how to scale the company and get to where I want to be. Um, but then I think the, another one, and there's so many, but I think another, the last one I would say is believing in myself, um, and thinking really big, like, you know, everyone's like, like for me, like, you know, getting to a hundred million is insane and it's such a big goal. Um, but it's like, if you break that down year over year, like it, it really, like, it's not such a crazy dream or goal if you really work on it every single year. Right. Um, yeah. year over year. So yeah, I think that's been a big one for me is like dream really big. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors was like, you know, dream big and be bold. Um, and I think that's something that stuck with me last year. 
So in order to get to that kind of dollar amount, what's the plan for additional product lines? Yeah, so we have um, different SKUs in the work. My idea around innovation is really looking at the market and saying, okay, well, what can we change to be inclusive snacking? So, you know, cookie dough, you know, now you can eat it edible uh, or like raw um, and it's, you know, any, or you can bake it totally up to you. Um, and so looking at that market and then the next one, you know, maybe I'll go into baking and say, okay, well, how can we turn this into, you know, allergy-friendly, vegan, gluten-free, um, but then also just like better for you. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, when I say better for you, I, I'm not saying it needs to taste like super healthy. Um, but what I am saying is that I'm looking for um, ingredients that allow you to feel good, but then get the similar nostalgic taste as what you would normally have. But staying inside snack land, not venturing exactly. outside of that. Yeah, I think snacking is really where we'll stay um, for the next little bit. Um, and then, yeah, I think snacking is really where it's at, to be honest with you. I'm a big snacker, so I think that's where I'll probably stay. Me too. I could I, <laughs> I could exist on snacks. My older son or my younger son asks for snack dinner more often than oh, that really? is intended to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We, we, we like snacking. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do expand into the U S this year, where can we look to find your products? Uh, we're starting at West first. Um, and then, uh, we'll kind of see what the strategy is there and then, uh, kind of take our learnings from there and then figure out how do we really scale. Um, I think what's really important for us is just looking at the regions and then figuring out what is the best play for us and making sure that we don't go too big too fast um, and that we scale strategically uh, with the right accounts and really just listening to our community and our um, the people who love our products and where do they shop, uh, play and live, right? Um, so whether it's like mm -hmm. cafes or grocery stores or juice shops, um, just different stuff like that. Very good. Um, I had a question right on the tip of my tongue and now it has disappeared. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. It popped up when you were talking earlier about the sales process, which was super Canadian of you, sales process, and I like it. The difference between selling to the retailers versus getting the consumers to buy it. You you mentioned that, and I think it's something that people don't necessarily think of. Which one's harder? Which one do you like more? What's your strategy? Good question. Okay, so I think... Um, I think I love selling to the retailer, to be honest with you. I love uh, when, when we can expand strategically with an account um, and we can land those like really big accounts. Like for instance, we just land Walmart uh, in Canada. And so Congratulations. Um, and that was like such a project in itself. Like I was, um, you know, in touch with the buyer for two years and, you know, I had her personal number and I was, you know, we were reaching out and I was contacting her and we kept in contact. And when it was the right time, she's like, okay, it's time to launch. Like, are you ready? Kind of thing. And I was like, yep, I'm ready. And, um, and just, so I think those relationships for me is really where I excel. Um, and then it depends, like if I'm at a consumer show, I think that's another um, amazing way to connect with consumers directly. And I love seeing like when kids try our products and, you know, their mom is like, well, try this and see if you like it. And they like love it. And I think that is what lights me up and gets me really excited. Yeah, I bet. So where can people connect with you online? Yeah. Um, so you can go to O Foods, so O-H-H Foods. 
um, on Instagram, um, and then also our, our website, it's ohhfoods.com. Perfect. And I like to wrap up all of our episodes with two truths and a lie, my favorite little torture game for everybody. Uh, so give us three facts about yourself, one of which is not a fact in no particular order, and don't tell us the answer. Okay. Um, I'm vegan. I love pepperoni pizza. And I think the last one is I'm a major foodie. Is there vegan pepperoni pizza? There is. There is vegan pepperoni pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know what's inside of that. Well, Brittany Charlton, thank you so much. You're an absolute delight and a very, very savvy businesswoman. Thank you for all that you're doing for people who, you know, can't necessarily have all the same foods that everyone else can. And I am super excited to be able to try them when they make their way to the U.S., hopefully this year. So congratulations on everything you're doing. Thank you for being here. Listeners, as always, thanks so much for sticking around. This has been the Shandyland podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. 